This podcast contains material that is intended for mature audiences and may not be suitable for all listeners. Enjoy. You see this neon? He's like, fuck that. That's not Paps. That's bullshit. Tailgatesociety.com. Proudly sponsored by Deadeye Barbecue Sauce, the best goddamn barbecue sauce in the known universe. You can find it at your local fairways and high V's in the Midwest at localemarket.com and Amazon Prime. We are joined tonight by Mr. Neil Stewart of Deschutes Brewing uh, in beautiful Bend, Oregon, a place that I have been before. Um, he's going to tell us a little bit about what's going on with Deschutes and we're going to get to know him a little bit and Neil, thanks for joining us. Good to be here. Yeah, we are here in Bend, Oregon and, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a native Midwesterner, maybe like you guys. And, uh, I heard you plug in High V. Uh, so I'm, I'm from High V territory, maybe a little bit South there in uh, Southern Illinois, but I can tell you, we have far less humidity here in Bend, Oregon than we do in the Midwest. <laughs> yeah. well, absolutely, absolutely. Where whereabouts in uh, Southern Illinois? I'm fr- originally from just outside of St. Louis, so okay. uh, a town called Belleville, Illinois. Sure, uh, which is, okay. is, is, sure. is the home of Stag Beer. Do you guys know Stag? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, hell yeah. So uh, yeah. Stag, the Stag Brewery was uh, was in Belleville, Illinois. It was uh, I think later bought by a G Heilman Brewing Company, which was. Uh, also the owner of like, you know, old style up in uh, La Crosse, Wisconsin. And, sure. and uh, yeah, so, so I'm, I'm, a, I'm a native Midwesterner, you know, born and bred on beer. Oh, that, that explains how you ended up in the beer business, I guess. Right. Uh, it, is. It, it really does. Born in a, in a beer town. Right. Uh, I'm familiar with that area. Do you know the town uh, Trenton, Illinois? Sure. Yeah. 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 My, my parents actually lived there for about uh, eight or nine years. Okay, cool. So yeah, familiar with that area too. Yeah. Um, I actually have a brother that still lives in St. Louis. So been right. in and around that area my whole life. Okay. Um, so yeah. Right. <laughs> uh, I don't know if you want to get into that with JT. Oh yeah. If I got it nearby, I might not have it nearby. My world series ticket. So uh, <laughs> From the one event in the history of mankind, I never yeah. thought I'd actually see. I was actually able to go there. There we go. Hey, congrats! You guys win it yeah. once every one hundred years. Congrats! <laughs> you know what? We won one. That's all I wanted. <laughs> Seeing you guys oh, get down goodness. to your last out in the last inning and somehow coming back and winning. Oh my it god! Greatest night of my life. <laughs> Although I did enjoy when Jim Edmonds was off the scrap, he came back to the Cubs. It was actually good for a couple months. <laughs> wow. Okay. That's a that's a that's a, a deep reference. Okay. <laughs> deep cut early in the I was, podcast. I was actually I was actually in Chicago when he got signed, and that town went ballistic because not only was it Jim Edmonds, but it was Jim Edmonds who was a Cub killer for the yeah. Cardinals. So. Yeah. Yeah. But Jim Henry, yeah. it's one of the few things Jim Henry actually did right, and that's a pretty damn short <laughs> list. 
Oh, goodness. Oh. So, Neil, um, why don't you give us just a little bit more background on, on what you do for dish shoots at this point? Yeah, so uh, I, I lead our, our sales and marketing efforts here at Deschutes. Um, so I, I've been here for a, about a year. Um, you know, so sales and marketing is, uh, it, you know, leading both of them is, is a bit new new to me. I, I'm, a, I'm a marketing guy by trade. So, you know, I really cut my teeth in the beer industry um, on the marketing side. Um, and, uh, you, know, you know, I've always been a, a person who has, uh, you know, tried to kind of unite uh, the, the two teams that are sales and marketing that, uh, can often bicker with each other. Um, I've tried to be a, a person that kind of bridges that gap. And, and now I'm, I'm in the heart of it of leading both of our sales and marketing efforts and, and really enjoying it. I understand that, that pain a little bit. Um, <laughs> yeah. my, my day jobs company sales and marketing are, are tied together quite often. Okay. Too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I know exactly what you mean. Um, <laughs> Growing up, my dad was a sales manager, and whenever he would have sales and marketing meetings on the calendar, he would just write S&M meeting. And, I, and <laughs> <laughs> the, more I've got, the more I appreciate how apropos that was. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, you know, I've just historically seen that, you know, there, there, there isn't a lot of empathy between those two departments, which are, are so tightly connected. You know, I mean, it, the, the objective is the same, is to, to, is to move more product, but yet um, more often than not, those two departments uh, just don't see eye to eye. But, you know, I, I'm probably getting into this maybe a little bit too quickly, but, you know, that point of view really started uh, when, when I got my first job in the beer business, which was with the Pabst Brewing Company. And I clearly remember uh, interviewing for that job. It was, it was like, what, uh, the summer of uh, 2000. And uh, when I was interviewing for that job, uh, the, the guy who was the director of marketing at Pabst, he said, well, so, you know, we're a fairly sales-driven organization. Are you okay with that? And I was like, well, first of all, yeah, because I need a job. Um, but second of all, you know, aren't we all in the business of selling more stuff? And what I, what I ended up finding was that um, – what he meant there at, at Pabst was that the, the sales team was fairly, um, you know, they had a lot of autonomy. Like our marketing team kind of served as a, as an internal, um, you know, uh, what I call agency for the, the rest of the, the sales team. So the sales team, if they saw a certain opportunity, no matter what it was, no matter how much it compromised the equity of the brand, uh, as long as it moved boxes, they were all in on it. And, um, so, you know, my job was, just, like, I, like I said, you know, kind of bridge that gap from the, the early phases. And um, it, it's something that I think has served me well since then of, of, you know, having empathy on both sides of the fence from, you know, uh, marketing to communicating with sales. And, and now I would say, you know, most of my time is spent more on the sales side. I would say, you know, probably, you know, 85 to 90 percent of my time is is focused on our sales efforts. And now I'm trying to bridge the gap back to our marketing team. How did you get into the beer industry? What has been your journey as you've gone through it? Uh, certainly, uh, I understand how beer marketing can be uh, a constantly evolving space, how the sales piece is constantly moving forward. But how have you gotten from that first job at Pabst to where you're at today? And what, the, I mean, what even made you join the industry in the first place? 
Sure. Yeah. No, it's, it's been a journey. And I mean, and I think it goes back to, you know, the way we started the conversation, you know, I, I, I grew up in the St. Louis area. Um, you know, obviously, you know, saw the, the Anheuser-Busch brewery as one of the major industries in, in St. Louis. Um, you know, all of the, 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 the incredible marketing and advertising efforts that they had through the years. And so, you know, when I went to college and, and, and majored in, in advertising, you know, that was kind of, uh, the pinnacle of, of, of industry was to work for Anheuser-Busch. And, um, and back during that time, you know, there were a lot of different advertising and marketing agencies in the St. Louis area. It's quite a bit different today. Um, but back then Anheuser-Busch would kind of throw a lot of different work to all the different agencies. They, they probably kept a lot of those agencies in business. Um, but it was, it was always a shootout. It was always, you know, who could come up with the best idea. And that's how they generated a lot of those great marketing and advertising campaigns was, you know, whichever one was the best, whichever one tested the best with consumers, whichever one drove the greatest purchase intent. So, you know, when I went to college and decided to, to major in advertising, that's where I wanted to work either there or, you know, the St. Louis Cardinals. Um, but, <laughs> um, you know, when I got out of college, I, I found that it was probably harder than I imagined to, to latch on with one of those agencies. So, I worked a few jobs here and there, but eventually got on with uh, an agency that really specialized in what we called experiential marketing back then. Um, so again, this was 20 years ago. So my job uh, was uh, working on the Budweiser account, and my 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 job. God, it's hard to uh, describe this, but my job was uh, to travel around the country and setting up Budweiser merchandise displays at different Sam's clubs. So when mm-hmm. I say merchandise, I'm talking about dartboards, pool table lights, pint glasses. Um, so I, I would set up these displays, um, you know, in like say new Orleans, and then I would fly back to St. Louis and then set up the next one that might be in Tampa. And then, you know, I'd fly back to new Orleans, take down that display of whatever hadn't sold, uh, and then drive a truck to Tampa and then set up a display. And, you know, as I look back on it, probably Anheuser-Busch's objective was to build a relationship with Sam's Club. You know, so they, they sold a lot of beer for them at that point in time. So, you know, why wouldn't their members be interested in buying, you know, Budweiser merchandise at a, at a greatly reduced cost? So that gave me just enough beer experience so that when I decided that I didn't want to live in St. Louis anymore, and I wanted to move to Austin, Texas, completely on a whim. I found that Paps Brewing Company was based in San Antonio, Texas. It gave me just enough beer experience to get my foot in the door for an interview there. And, um, and, and, and that was really the fortunate part of, of my career that, you know, I had this tiny bit of beer experience, um, you know, started there as a very junior level marketing person. And uh, at, at that time, Paps um, was, uh, kind of a ragtag company. Um, you know, several different brand families. I'll try to name some of them. So obviously PBR, the, the namesake, but also, you know, old style Schlitz, Stag, which I mentioned, Colt 45, Rainier, Lone Star, Nat, Natty, National Bohemian, Natty Bow, you might know it as, uh, Schlitz Malt Liquor, uh, Special Export. The, the list went on and on. So it gave me this kind of like trial by fire, uh, you know, experience in the beer industry to work on all of those different brands. 
And, um, yeah, and that's, that's kind of where the ball got rolling. That's cool. Yeah. So I, uh, my first experience working from a professional level with, with Pabst, I used to work at the headquarters of Buffalo Wild Wings. Okay. Um, and one thing I remember about those guys, even the guys that had that national account, even those national account sales guys, they, they would have been just as much at home selling seed corn back in Iowa as <laughs> were selling beer uh, to a national brand where it was because it was all of those, those kind of your dad's yeah. beer type of things that they were doing. And once they kind of got that hipster cachet, they didn't even entirely know what to do with it, frankly. <laughs> it was, yeah. 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 It was, yeah. it was almost like, a, Oh cool. The kids also like us. Yeah, no, you're, no, you're let totally me tell you right. How to say, yeah. yeah, you're totally right. I mean, back when PBR really started to catch on, and, and, and I, I, I'll never forget these numbers, but back in the late 70s, PBR, just that, that brand, Paps Blue Ribbon, sold over 20 million barrels of beer. So for, for everyone who's listening, you know, a barrel of beer is 13.778 cases of beer. So call it 13 and a, and a half cases of beer. Um, when, when I worked there, I started in 2000, I think 2001 was when it bottomed out and it was 872,000 barrels of beer. So it went from 23 million down to 872. And when the hipsters started to catch on, again, I was junior level marketing guy at PAPS and it started to catch on in, in Portland, Oregon. And, uh, that same guy who said, Hey, we're the sales driven company. He sent me up to Portland and he was like, Hey, can you go figure out what's going on in Portland? Our, our, our sales are on fire there, you know? So like all over the, the, the country, sales trends were down double digits, but Portland, Oregon was up like 90%. And uh, so I was like, yeah, sure. I'll check it out. And I went up there and what I realized is that people were drinking the brand for all the reasons of what it wasn't, you know? So it wasn't mass marketed. And at that point um, it was a thoughtful kind of decision that, you know, yeah, we had kind of an aging sales team, quite honestly, um, who didn't quite understand it, but that was part of the charm. And we mm-hmm. didn't, you know, when we built our first website, probably in like 2002 to 2003, I didn't want that website to be too slick where people, you know, these hipster consumers would be like, ah, Paps is catching on. Or if they met a salesperson where they say, ah, Paps is catching on. I wanted it to be 100% covert. So those old sales guys that could have been selling corn feed or whatever, um, you know, in a way they kind of added into the narrative. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. This is very what's old is new again. Mm-hmm. And when you think of hipsters, Portland is a pretty good place to start. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like <laughs> back then, you know, again, when I made that first trip to Portland, um, the, the word hipster, I wasn't aware of it. I don't even know if it was used back then. But um, I, I ended up, you know, uh, hitting some of the bars where Paps had caught on. And um, so there was one place called the Ash Street Saloon, which was a bike messenger bar. So all these guys that were out delivering packages, you know, pedaling their ass off all day and then drinking a shitload of beer at night. That's where they would hang out. So our sales rep took me there. He's like, look, I don't know what's going on. But these bike messengers are like way into PBR. And I remember... Um, we had this neon, this neon sign that was like, a, it was, it was, it was like just the, the words Paps Blue Ribbon and then like a circle around it. 
And then there was kind of like the outline of a guitar. And uh, this, this, this bike messenger pointed that out to me. And he's, he was like, you see this neon? He's like, fuck that. That's not Paps. That's bullshit. And you know what? To be honest with him, he, with you, he was right. That was off brand. That, and why it was off brand is because that, that neon sign was trying way too hard. And what he loved about Pabst was that Pabst didn't try hard and that it was authentic. And like this guy kind of like threatened me, you know, even though I had nothing to do with that neon sign. But he, he had a, a really clear grasp of what the brand meant to him and, you know, and, and his uh, fellow bike messengers. Um, so yeah, then he took me out back and beat the shit out of me for that neon sign. <laughs> but, yeah, uh, no, <laughs> no, but I, th- that guy was awesome. And, and, and then he, he took off his shirt. This is a, this is the true part of the story. He took off his shirt and he had a massive PBR tattoo covering his entire back. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> wow. It's kind of like, um, you think about like this old time mustache wax company that has been sitting here for the last, you know, for 30 years sort of languishing as mustaches went out of vogue. And then all of these hipsters came by and got mustache. And now all of a sudden I'm like, I have beard oil. That wasn't a thing for a long time. Right. And now all of a sudden they're like, Oh man, we are back in business. We're doing yeah. this. They don't, <laughs> they don't care whether or not it's, it's uh new or fresh or or ironic or... it's just a yeah it's just a matter of these people are embracing it let's go ahead and em- embrace the fact that we are this old timey company that you know we need to ride around on large wheeled bicycles with triangular <laughs> unicycles you know <laughs> effort, let's do it yeah no i mean i i always tell people that you know the the pbr resurgence um, Paps Brewing Company um, did not start it. You know, I worked for Paps Brewing Company. We did not start that trend. That was completely owned by consumers. So uh, if you want to use the word luck, I think you're absolutely right. But um, I think what is true about Paps or that mustache waxing company or beard oil company, it's what you do with that luck from there. and uh, and And how do you how do you build on that? How do you facilitate that? How do you, how do you introduce that from your core consumer out to others? And that's the hard part. I, I, I think what we did at PAPS at that time, we did it the right way. You know, going back to that trip in, to Portland, uh, at that point in time, that sales guy was like, hey, so, I, you know, it's all these alternative people. Again, we didn't use the word hipster back then because we didn't know it. So we'd say, it's all these alternative people drinking PBR you know, I think we should buy advertising on the local alternative rock radio station. And I was like, no, don't do that, please. That's, that's what will kill it immediately. Um, because once you start to advertise, then that's when they realize that you're onto them and they'll go find another brand. So it was all about, um, you know, kind of integrating our culture with theirs, letting them continue to lead the, the, the culture so we ended up sponsoring a bike messenger race. I don't know if it was the same guy. Um, geez, I'm trying to remember, but it was definitely from that, that trip where some of those bike messengers said, Hey, you know, we're having a bike messenger race in a few months. Would you be interested in sponsoring it? 
to this day, if you ask me what a bike messenger race is, I don't know. And I was there <laughs> at a bike messenger race. Uh, but we sponsored it for like $2,500 and they appreciated that, you know, and we let them tell us what does that sponsorship entail. So I, I, I think, you know, again, this was, you know, damn near 20 years ago, call it 17 years ago. Um, but I, I, I think the, the case study is still relevant in that, you know, sometimes as marketers, we got to kind of let go of the brand and let our core consumers lead. Sure. I think that's, that's a, a great insight. So you were at Pabst, but there's a big difference between Pabst and Deschutes. So what is, <laughs> what is, what is your path from Pabst to Deschutes? Yeah. So, um, you know, I worked at Pabst for, uh, pretty close to six years. Um, you know, was, it was based in San Antonio. Like I said, I moved to Austin, uh, but settled in, in San Antonio. Um, at that point in time, call it 2006, uh, we had a new CEO who uh, lived in Chicago. And so he joined the company and he made it clear that he was moving the company to Chicago. So he, he literally moved the corporate offices about a mile away from, from his house. Um, and, you know, I could have made that move to Chicago. Um, but you know, I'm not a Cubs fan, so I'm not going to do that. Uh, <laughs> and I don't blame you for not wanting to live in Chicago. Yeah. Um, if you got San Antonio or Austin, which are two amazing cities. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and my wife is from Colorado. So, uh, and I had pulled her out of Colorado down to Texas. And, uh, so, you know, she, she was looking for a job for me. And, uh, I, I think she was on monster.com. I don't even know if that website's around anymore. <laughs> And so she found a job uh, that uh, was with Flying Dog Brewery in Denver, Colorado. So she's like, hey, so this is beer industry. It's in Colorado. Um, It has the word dog in the name, and we love dogs. She's like, I think this one checks all the boxes. You should check this one out. So, uh, you know, and by that time, I had kind of grown interested in craft beer. Um, So, you know, there was a desire on my part to – kind of transition over to that segment of the industry. So, uh, yeah, I, I ended up applying for the job at Flying Dog and, and got it. And uh, that allowed us to move to Denver, um, which, like I said, was was just more appealing than, than moving to Chicago. Uh, yeah, and I, and I think that kind of set me on a course for uh, working within the, the craft brewing industry. Um, so that was, you know, 2006, uh, you know, again, fairly long time ago. And the craft brewing industry was fairly different back then. Um, and uh, yeah, enjoyed my time with, with Flying Dog. I, I ended up leaving there. So Flying Dog was based in Denver. Uh, you guys might know it better now as it being based in Frederick, Maryland. Uh, so we bought a brewery on the East Coast. The brewery in Denver was old and small and just had a lot of issues. I could go into those. are kind of funny, but I uh, had a lot of issues. I wasn't in a position. I just bought a house in Denver. Um, and so wasn't in a position to move out East with flying dogs. So spent a little time with, uh, Mike's hard lemonade, uh, which is like, you're probably saying what, like that's a huge diversion from craft beer. And it was, um, uh, but you know, Mike's hard lemonade, honestly, is a great company. Some really smart people work there. Uh, and it was great experience. Um, spent a little time on the agency side, uh, working, uh, on the Miller Coors account for a big, agency in Colorado, but eventually landed with uh, Dogfish Head. Um, had, was still living in Denver at the time. And uh, by that time, we had owned our house for a bit. 
we were not in a, you know, financially difficult situation. And uh, my wife and I were, were motivated to move to the East Coast. So uh, moved out to Milton, Delaware, and spent uh, really five great years working at Dogfish Head uh, with, uh, you know, just a, you know, a great team and, and great experience. Um, but all that time, we, we, we didn't think of Delaware as our final stop. And, and when the opportunity to move to Bend, Oregon uh, presented itself, uh, we decided to, to do that. So we're out here in Bend now. Whereabouts in Denver were you guys located then? The brewery itself? The brewery or where, where did you live too? Yeah, uh, well, we, we lived, uh, if you know Denver, uh, like yeah. Sixth, Sixth and Monaco. Uh, okay. Yeah, sure. so uh, pretty close to like the Lowry or the Stapleton developments, but we yep, lived in yep. kind of the, the older area. Uh, the brewery was at 24th and Blake, so not okay. far from Coors Field. Um, apart from the Blake Street Tavern and all that too, so yeah, yeah. Well, the Blake Street Tavern literally was in the same building at the time. Yeah. Now okay. it's moved like two blocks, uh, I guess, south. Um, so the Blake Street Tavern was really our home brew pub. Um, okay. But the, the Flying Dog Brewery uh, was about thirty-five thousand barrels of capacity, okay. the, <laughs> with a, with a very aging Italian bottling line that okay. smashed about. $100,000 worth of glass every year. Not great for your cost of goods. <laughs> and then no. <laughs> probably the most that. interesting thing about that brewery was that, um, let's see, Blake Street is a one, no, wait, uh, yeah, Blake Street is a one-way street. And uh, so our, our um, loading dock was kind of on an incline. So in the, in the winter when it would snow, not only did the trucks have to like battle the snow to back into the loading dock, but they had to go the wrong way down a one-way oh, street. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah, so uh, saw plenty of jackknifed uh, trucks out there on Blake Street. Yeah, the the Denver weather can get real crazy in a hurry. So oh yeah, really fast. Yeah, and then it's sixty degrees the next day. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I remember one time uh, living in Denver. I uh, I left work, went out for happy hour. You know probably like three thirty, uh, because that's what I do. And, uh, <laughs> no, like I went out for happy hour at five and then, uh, you know, walked out to my car at like seven thirty, you know, and it was like 60 degrees when I got there for happy hour. And then there was like eight inches of snow by the time, you know, I got out from happy hour. Yep. So we, we have a, a question that we, we typically ask all of our guests. Um, and that is if you were stranded on a desert Island, pick, three, four, five, whatever beers that you would absolutely want to have with you. All right. I, I like the fact that you're doing three, four or five. The, the, <laughs> the singular beer, that, that, that's a, that's a tough question. Uh, let's see here. Wow. Um, well, you know, obviously I gotta, I gotta pick beers from, you know, my, my career. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I'll start with PBR. Sure. Why not? You know, uh, PBR holds a, a soft spot in my heart. Um, you know, the other brand that I worked on during my time at Pabst was uh, Rainier. Uh, so if you guys know uh, Rainier up here in the, the Pacific Northwest. So uh, still one of my favorite beers. Might be the same damn beer as PBR, uh, <laughs> like from a liquid standpoint, but that's all right. Uh, different can, different bottle. Uh, let's see here. Uh, I'll kind of go through uh, my career. You know, my, my time at Dogfish, like I said, was was, was an awesome time. Uh, a, a beer that I love uh, at Dogfish is, is Sequench Ale. Uh, so if you guys have had that, 
great beer, uh, super sessionable. Um, so love that beer, still drink that beer. I'll pick out a couple from the shoots. Uh, so a, a new beer that we've launched recently called Wowza is, is probably my, my go-to beer right now. So Wowza is a low-cal, hazy, pale ale. Um, so, you know, 100 calories, four carbs. Um, so you can feel pretty good about drinking it. But uh, it really is a great-tasting beer. Um, and then, uh, gosh, I'll, I'll choose the beer that I was drinking uh, before I got here. I am drinking a Black Butte Porter now, as you guys recommended. But um, uh, a beer that I love that we're, we have out right now is called Neon Daydream. That's our summer seasonal. And uh, I really love this beer. I'm going to be sad when it goes away uh, at the end of the summer. But Neon Daydream is uh, really just a, a hazy ale. So uh, not quite the IBUs to get to that uh, IPA level. So you, you can maybe call it a, a hazy, somewhere between a pale ale and a golden ale. Uh, but it's got, so it's, it's a little bit uh, lighter, uh, not quite as pillowy as a lot of the hazy IPAs that are out there, but still has that nice kind of citrus bite to it. That's five. Sweet. Did I do all right? Uh, no, that's, yeah, that's, yeah, that's <laughs> great. I, I was kind of sad he stopped. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, I, that's, a, that's a good list for sure. So, but uh, I noticed um, looking a little bit at your background, um, you went to grad school. We're going to back up farther in time. Okay. At West Virginia, is that correct? Yeah. I did, yeah. So, so Tim and I are both Iowa State alums. Okay. Um, right. So <laughs> we've got the Riot Bowl now for football. Do you yep. do you follow? Given that it's grad school, are you a, a big follower of WVU football, or do you I, do any of that kind of stuff? I, I am. I am. I'm. Uh, I'm very proud of our couch burning history. Yeah, that's, that's, that's what we do as well. The riot hole. Yeah, no, uh, no. The Iowa State West Virginia rivalry is. It, I like where it's going. It's heating up. You know, Iowa State. You guys have been good the last couple of years in, in football. Um, man, I I hope college football season happens this year. I think WVU is going to be. I, I love our coach. You know, we share the same first name, Neil Brown. This guy, I think he's totally legit. He's done a great job recruiting. I think we're going to be good this year. And man, basketball, WVU. I I seriously believe if basketball season happens, and I hope it does, WVU will be uh, a Final Four contender this coming year. Ooh, that's very it's a, it's a bold it's a hot call. Pick. Get to your yeah. before everyone else does. Yeah, we, no. we got the whole team coming back, and it's a twenty-win team. We got a guy named Oscar Shibway, who is a stud, could have gone to the NBA, decided to stick around for another year. Basketball, I'm telling you, WVU will contend for a Final Four this year. Also, Huggy Bear. Yeah, I'll get to go there and love Huggy Bear. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, uh, Huggins is awesome. I, I, the, the thing I love about him more than anything is that he gives zero fucks about what he wears when yep. he's coaching on the sidelines. He doesn't buy into that whole thing that you got to wear, you know, a, a, a suit or a sport coat. You know, he's good with wearing his, you know, kind of golf pullover. Yep. He, he, he looks like he dresses like he is 
like a mafia hitman, and I don't mean <laughs> like like a New York mafia. I mean like a New Jersey mafia. Yeah, right. Like yeah, he, yeah, yeah. You know, like he's got on like the tracksuit, <laughs> and he's just gonna go out and get it done, and then go get a cannoli. Like that's exactly what what he looks like. Yeah, no, and, and he's. He, I mean, he really is a good guy. You know, if you, if you go back and watch, uh, uh, I think it was the 2010. Uh, run that the the Mountaineers made to the final final four, uh, and uh, Deshaun Butler when he blew out his knee, you know, I, I, it brings a tear to my eye when he rushed out to the court and like hold, held him. Yeah, like just he, holding him. Just it, it was very tender. It was like a dad. It was like a father son. Yeah, really. Yeah, yeah. like it it, yeah, it, it almost brings a tear to my eye thinking about it. Like that's the kind of guy that he is. And uh, so yeah, no, I I I have fully embraced. Uh, WVU sports, uh, you know, when I, when I went to grad school, I was, I was well out of college age, but, um, I, I went to, uh, a couple football games and utilized my student, uh, uh, tickets and hung out in the Mountaineer maniacs, uh, section when everyone thought I was the creepy old guy and, and loved every minute of it. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone thought Aaron was the creepy old guy in college, so it's fine. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> no, uh, one of the one of the other head brewers here in town uh, is a WVU guy, so we always have kind of these like dinner bets yeah. and all those things. And uh, what was that? Uh, was that three years ago, Aaron? When when WVU came into Ames as a as a top ten team, and we took them down. We punched them in the mouth. Oh, uh, that was so good. So, so I was, was I was tailgating. I was tailgating my friend Michael, who's the head brewer of Steels out here in town. Before that game, we were even staying at the hotel afterwards, like at the same hotel. And I was like, I'm not even going to go down to the hotel bar and taunt you. I'm like, <laughs> that was a good enough victory. But yeah, it was, it was a good time. So that's good. That's the beauty of college football. One game can make your season. I was I was at the WVU uh, UT game at, in Austin a couple of years ago when Will Greer ran it in, you know, with like really? ten seconds left, and you know yeah. the, the season didn't go so well after that. But I didn't care. We beat UT. That was good enough for me. Does anyone uh, care about Appalachian State's record after they beat Michigan in the Big House? Right. Like right. honestly, right. No one cares. No. Funny enough, I'm a UNI grad, and UNI said no to that game in Michigan, and Appalachian State's the one that said yes. Oh, really? So had yeah. UNI said yes, things could have been differently, and UNI would not have beat Michigan, but still. You but can yeah. pretend that they would have, though. They would have, but it would have been fun. <laughs> hey, hey, you know what? You and I can live off of taking down Kansas in the NCAA tournament for right. like seven I was there. Years. I was there. Hey. You want to go way back, then you go to, I think it was 1989, and you and I, the 14-seed, upset number three-seed Missouri yeah, when 19, I was a kid. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, 89, yeah 90, yeah, around there. Yeah, yeah. I remember that, too. That was, yeah. that was, as a Mizzou kid growing up, that was the worst, because then <laughs> I immediately moved from Missouri to Iowa that following summer. And did not hear the end of that for a long time. <laughs> I was a kid growing up. I thought it was great. Yeah. I agree. I um, like it. If you ever get a chance to go to Ames, if you've never been for a football game, and you're into traveling to games, you'll you'll be welcomed 
immensely in Ames by the, the fans. Tailgating so a lot don't of Don't be afraid of going there. Yeah, well, I, uh, I know that um, you guys know Justin Kendall. He's the editor of Brewbound. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah. he's an Iowa State grad, I believe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's and, he's just a, a couple of years younger than Aaron and I. So okay, yeah. yeah. So maybe we have a WVU Iowa State meetup um, in in Ames. Uh, I'll you guys bring the couch and we'll burn it when we beat you. <laughs> I no, I love it. I will absolutely drive down from from Minneapolis down for a game if you guys. If you I can promise to get back every year for a game and never never can seem to make it, but I'm, yeah, I'm going to get it done. We do work for the Tailgate Society, so it's kind of in our brand. So <laughs> That's <laughs> true. <laughs> yeah. One of the things that I, I, I love doing at uh, Mountaineer Games is they, they – and, and I'm sure they do this elsewhere, but they do a thing called the Flabongo. You guys mm-hmm. familiar with that? Yeah. Oh, we have, we have the Flabongo at Iowa State Tailgates as okay, well. Okay, good, yeah. good. Yeah, love the yeah. Flabongo. So, is that so, like a beer bong or? Yeah. So JT, it's it's like one of those lawn uh, flamingos, those pink flamingos. Okay. Yeah. You turn it upside down. You cut the legs off. You cut the tip of the beak <laughs> off, and you have yourself a beer bong from a pink flamingo. Yeah. Well, you said cut the tip off and you said beak, and I was afraid that was going to go a completely different direction. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. And as I say that, as Aaron's daughter walks into the room. So. Oh, perfect. perfect. Uh, yeah. But yeah. But you're a marketing guy. I, I got to say, I, if I have one question, as a hockey fan, why is there not a Deschutes Descores beer that you could sell at a hockey game? Because <laughs> that would kill. And I tell you what, as a hockey player, we can drink some damn beers. We call them water bottles before the game, but it's definitely hockey and beer are definitely hand in hand, especially with guys who decide to drink beer and then put razor blades on their feet and go out on the ice. You know, I, I, I can't uh, argue with you. So, I mean, we do have a beer called Da Shoots. Have you seen that one? Yes, I've had yeah. it before. Yeah, so uh, Da Shoots uh, probably should be more actively marketed towards uh, – you know, all of you, uh, you say you're in Minneapolis? Me? No, I'm in Des Moines, Iowa. Oh, you're in Des Moines. Okay, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. well, you know, so all of you upper Midwest hockey honks, uh, you know, we, we probably should uh, be marketing more actively to you. Hey, Canada. You know, okay. So I live in Everett, Washington now, and of course, you know, we're getting our hockey team up here. Yeah, there's, yeah. There's your opportunity in Seattle. <laughs> Could you be know. the Seattle Sock I've heard is most likely name uh, or God. yeah totem. I want it to be, I want it to be Kraken. Kraken. They got some Kraken weird. Be cool. They got some weird options. Yeah. Yeah. We will. Uh, so you know we're actually already working on that deal. Um, uh, uh, Columbia Distributing, our uh, distributor in Washington, uh, we've partnered with them. So Deschutes, I, I, I'm proud to say, will be available at that new key arena or whatever they end up calling it uh, when, when that NHL team drops the puck in uh, what fall 2021, I guess. Yeah. And they're, they're going to have yeah. a hell of a, it's going to be hard to follow what Vegas did where they went to a Stanley cup their first year in existence. So, yeah, but yeah. still, but still the NHL right now, there's plenty of talent that you can field a team up someone second or third liners and just what that Vegas did. You get a good goalie, you get in the playoffs, you can win it all. Yeah, the, the, and, and that's going to be a phenomenal venue in Seattle. Uh, the, the, I've seen some of the plans that they have for it. 
And uh, I, 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 it's going to be an amazing atmosphere. And again, hopefully everything is, is very different by then and we can fill up the arena. But uh, yeah, Seattle is, has been begging for, you know, something to fill up their winners ever since the Sonics moved to uh, uh, Oklahoma City. Yeah, for sure. I'm going to cry in my Deathless Trump jersey now. <laughs> <laughs> so one one final question here before I think we need to probably plug our sponsor by taking a break and then get into our tasting. How do we get some of that sweet, sweet marketing uh, from Deschutes? What do we have to do <laughs> <laughs> to get on board with some sweet, sweet Deschutes marketing? You mean like sponsorship for the podcast or you bet (laughs) whatever you want to do, buddy, I'll take free beer. I want it super cheap. Is this like an elaborate sales pitch? It is. Always be closing, Neil. I kind of feel like that would be right in your alley, Neil. (laughs) I I mean, I'm the secret closer in my time, but I'll settle for the better steak knife. Have you ever heard, uh, Hannibal Burris's uh, comedy bit about uh, the timeshare. Oh yeah, the closer, and then he's like, "You're the secret closer. I'm the secret closer. <laughs> my, my day man. job is in sales." Yeah, but, uh, man, inviting no, me on I, a podcast, making me feel all special, <laughs> telling me to grab a Black Butte Porter, and then saying, "Hey, uh, what do we got to do to earn your business today?" Is one That's hell right. of a sales tactic. I was a car salesman once in, a, in my in my history. What have I got to do to get you into this <laughs> podcast today? Man, much respect <laughs> for this one. You told uh, me Lucy football, Charlie Brown. He did not respect. Actually, hundred percent. The next time I'm down in in Oregon, because I travel for work in Oregon as part of my territory, my uh-huh. day job. Um, I was actually in in Bend in December of last year. Okay. Uh, at a convention, um, you know, a trade show. Yeah. So I'm sure I will be back down that way at some point. And for railroading you and blindsiding you with that, beers are on me. <laughs> so let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> where Where is Ben, Oregon? I've I, I've been to I've been to uh, Portland, which is an amazingly beautiful city. I had the best steak in my entire life there in a place called El Gaucho's, and then. Uh, I almost went to Pacific University, actually. But where is Ben, for those of us that aren't very good at maps? Yeah. Uh, Bend, I mean, I guess the easiest way to say it is it's kind of smack dab in the middle of the state of Oregon. Okay. And, uh, and, and Oregon is a deceptively big state. Yes, uh, yeah, <laughs> I, yes, I, yes I, it I, is. <laughs> I, I just saw something on this like a couple weeks ago that Oregon is the biggest state basically west of Texas. No, wait a minute. Wait, no, it, it's no, that's not right because California is bigger. What was that? Montana about? is too. Yeah, yeah, that's true too. Um, it might be the eighth state? biggest state. That West of okay. Texas that starts with O. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I totally buy that. It's 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 really large. So you're you're talking your southwest of Oregon of Portland. Actually, uh, I remember the southeast. Now. Excuse southeast, me. Southeast. Yeah, I was gonna say. I remember the stat now. I totally botched it. The congressional district that I live in, which is like all of the eastern half of Oregon, would be the eighth largest state. Oh, gotcha. oh really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. So it's like yeah. the biggest congressional district in the country or something like that. Um, 
so yeah, we're kind of smack dab in the middle of Oregon. Uh, you, so if you're in Portland, uh, yeah, it's not, it's not as simple as just driving straight south on I-5. Uh, you kind of have to drive southeast from Portland and go directly over Mount Hood. Uh, okay. And, and then that, that brings you down to Bend. Um, but yeah, driving from Portland to Bend is a, it's just a fantastic yeah. drive. You like I go, said, you drive right over Mount Hood. Yeah, you can go through the sisters. There's a couple different ways you can go. You can go that way too, yeah. Um, what, and you can actually road, fly into Bend almost too, mm-hmm. Redmond technically. Correct. What would the, be the road outside of Portland? I want to say it was north. I could be wrong. That takes you to the Dales. Is that I-5? Eight, that's 84. 84. 84. 84. Yeah. That is one of the most gorgeous highways you can ever be on. Like, just, yeah. oh, my God. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you go through uh, Hood River. Yep. Uh, yeah, Multnomah it, Falls. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, yeah. the Dales. And then yeah. as you get out there far enough, you end up in Pendleton. Yep. Yep. But, yeah, Bend is uh, it, it's just a phenomenal place. You know, we're kind of uh, on the edge of the – the Cascades, and then you know, it, it, on the eastern side, it's it turns into desert pretty fast. And uh, you know, we like I said at the beginning, we don't have the humidity uh, out here. And uh, I God, I think like I could have worn a sweater today. Like it was like probably in the fifties, sixties today, and it's June, so um, yeah, pretty phenomenal. Everything that you ever want to do outdoors here, uh, you know, skiing in the winter. Uh, Mountain biking in the summer, paddle boarding, uh, hiking, mountain climbing. Uh, it's, it's really turned into a, an outdoor paradise. Uh, you know, when, when Gary Fish, uh, who still owns the brewery today, when he opened uh, the little brew pub in downtown Bend in 1988, Bend was a very different place. It was, it was a fairly depressed lumber town, logging town. You know, back then, you know, people that lived in Bend were, we're not craft beer geeks like they are now. And, uh, it, you know, now, you know, we have a hundred thousand people here in Bend and we have like 23 breweries. So, uh, you know, it's, it's all about the outdoors activities. It's all about craft beer here. Um, which is, uh, you know, just two really great things. Yeah. Craft awesome. beer gardens are a lot of fun. So, all right. Well, uh, Neil, are you going to stick around for the tasting part with us? I will. Yeah. Awesome. Well, we're going to take a quick break. Um, and then we're going to come back with our official tasting, although most of us have been drinking it already, of Deschutes Black Butte Porter. This Tailgate Society podcast is brought to you by our good friends at Deadeye Premium Barbecue Products. Born in Iowa and made in the heartland, Deadeye is your go-to source for everything barbecue. Sauces, seasonings, you name it. They've made a science out of great grilling flavor. It's more than a sauce. Whether you're cooking sliders, dogs, steak, or chicken, Deadeye has the explosive flavor needed to make every dish delicious. Try a splash of their sweet and smoky original recipe or turn up the heat with their Magnum Edition barbecue sauce. Both flavors are available in seasonings as well as sauces. So pick your favorite and prepare your taste buds for an unforgettable eating experience. Deadeye Premium Barbecue products are available at Fairway, Hy-Vee, Amazon, or at DeadeyeBBQ.com. And welcome back to Bitter Units. Uh, Before we get into this tasting, I do want to remind you to subscribe, rate, review the TailgateSociety.com on Spotify, Apple Music, uh, Stitcher, whatever other place you get your podcast from, all the clicks and likes and reviews would be greatly appreciated. 
listen to all the other podcasts that are done on the Tailgate Society, uh, Culture Check, Sports and Corks, Matinee Baseball. Uh, we're not that drunk and drunk dialing. Um, all of them great content, and plus we all have lots of free time right now, so get it done, rate, review, subscribe to tailgatesociety.com. So our beer tonight, as we mentioned, is Deschutes Black Butte Porter. Uh, so last week we did a stout. This week we've got a porter. Uh, Tim, tell us the difference between a porter <laughs> and a stout. I, I'm glad you're calling me out right away since we have another beer industry expert here. <laughs> and I and this was even my idea to do Deschutes Black Butte Porter before we got into all of this, before we knew Neil would be a guest, just because it's been one of my favorite porters of all time. Um, I'm going to go ahead and answer and I'm going to watch Neil's reaction on screen while, while I answer this. Uh, um, the difference between a stout and a porter at this point is kind of up to whatever the brewer has decided to put on the label. The reality is, is you had a beer called a porter, which was historically a beer, uh, the the legend goes, I guess, that it's a, a beer that was popular for literally the porters uh, at the time, and then a stout porter was just a stouter version of a porter. So a stout was originally called the stout porter. Uh, so in general, you're like, oh well, this this means that it's a more robust version, probably higher gravity beer. But the reality is, is something like Guinness is four point one percent. A lot of porters sometimes are climbing up into even seven, eight percent. So that's not really a, a big thing. I think the thing we generally agree on in the brewing industry, you know, we might even say patent malts. That's not really necessarily a thing. But you're probably getting more roasted malts in a stout. You're getting more kind of coffee character in the stout that you're not getting in a porter. That said, professionally, I've brewed a beer that we intended on calling uh, a stout that we rebranded as a double porter, which is the dumbest name I can think of. <laughs> but it worked. It worked. People are like, oh, you're right. This is more like a double porter than a stout. So, uh, so yeah, I, I will say in general, uh, porters tended to be a little bit lighter, a little bit less coffee. We get just a little bit more of that, that, dark malt character coming through maybe still a lot of that chocolate but not so much of that coffee um i don't know i neil do you have anything you want to kind of tag on to all of that luckily you're actually nodding and not making me <laughs> feel so dumb no I, I i totally agree with you i i, I think yeah you, you you kind of narrow it down to the most simple description of between the two and um yeah, I think it. I think it comes down to ABV, and I think it comes down to uh, uh, where does it land on the scale of of you know roastiness between uh, coffee and, and chocolate, and I, and I think that's where Black Butte Porter really lands. You really get that that chocolate maltiness out of it. It's still roasty, um, but roasty, you know, is there, there's a spectrum of what that delivers, and and uh, you know, we have another beer called Obsidian Stout, which I think is much more on, on that, that coffee end of the spectrum. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, no, I, I, that's been one of those big things. That was one of those reasons why I want to do black view early on is it's been one of my 
my kind of go-to. I'm definitely one of those people where, no, I'm not going to reach for a beer like this after mowing the lawn, but it's definitely one of those beers where I love drinking it in the middle of summer just as much as I like having a milkshake. You know what I mean? Because yeah. it has a lot more of that kind of that coffee characteristic. So it, it's one that I was I was proud to be able to make beers like this, but I don't know that I ever professionally made uh, uh, a porter as good as Blackview. So yeah, I'm, I, not I, just, I'm not just saying that because Neil's on here. I don't <laughs> think I ever made a, a porter professionally as good as, as this beer. So well, I, yeah, I mean, I I appreciate that. I, I have nothing to do with brewing the beer, but I, I do know that our brewers here at the shoots are extremely proud of this beer and uh and it's a beer that has been around for us for a really long time and i i think the interesting thing about it you know you mentioned guinness you know guinness is such a you know a, a beer that's it's just a misnomer i mean people see the the big thick dark you know uh uh look that you have when you pour a guinness on draft blackbeard port is, is is kind of the same thing you know i i heard one of our salespeople a couple of weeks ago, they were telling a story of, you know, oftentimes they'll get someone that says, can you, can you pour me your lightest beer? And what they'll do in that instance is pour them a Blackview Porter because mm-hmm. it, it, yes, it, it may be intimidating for a novice beer drinker because it's dark, but it really drinks in, in a very light way. Um, and much like Guinness does, you know, Guinness is low, in, in lower, much lower in calories and carbs than you would think. And, and, and Blackview Porter, uh, has just a, a really kind of nice mouthfeel to it. Um, it doesn't, it doesn't drink nearly as thick as you might think when you, when you pour it into a glass. Yeah, for sure. A lot of those times people are like, oh, that's a, that's a meal in a glass. I'm like, well, mm-hmm. really? It isn't. You know, uh, Blackview's what, five and a half percent ABV, I think. 5.2. Uh, 5.2. Okay, 5.2. Yeah. Okay. So, so really, you're probably at 150 calories. Yeah, that sounds about somewhere right. Somewhere around yeah. there, right? And so it's not, it's not something that is is really super heavy. I mean, I've always said, I dark is is a color, not a flavor. Right. 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 <laughs> you know, it's kind of like uh, if you said your favorite candy is red. Well, is that cherry is that watermelon is that cinnamon because they're all oh, that. They're yeah. vastly different right yep uh, yeah and so the whole idea of dark and light i don't i don't know what that means and i i've i've always appreciated this beer has again a lot of that that chocolate and a good full mouth flavor with or mouth feel without being heavy yep so yeah i i, I dig that sure so so Neil, kind of the way we do this this tasting, uh, I've generally set it up to be appearance, aroma, uh, taste, mouthfeel, and finish. And we kind of talk about those hand in hand. You can't really talk about taste, mouthfeel, and finish distinctly because they're all together. I always like to start off with that that appearance, just because we drink with our eyes first, even if it can be deceiving or misleading just talking about what we see here. So uh, I'll start with you, JT. What are you seeing as you look at this beer? When you pour it, you think it's going to be blasting, hold up to light, and it's very much a red, uh, not so much brown, but that's very, very red. Uh, And then that kind of brings up the fact that, as you were alluding to earlier, it may not be as dark as you think it is. 
Right. So I was talking about last week with with uh, the Oreo season that it was more ruby. Yeah. You know, dark ruby color. Ruby, sure. ruby, ruby. <laughs> Don't do it, that ever again. <laughs> <laughs> There'll be Aaron, none of that here. Aaron, do you have any any other thoughts? Uh, no, I actually I I 100% agree. Um, I, I want to say this one might be a little bit lighter when you hold it up. You can get a little more of the color out of it uh, than than the uh, Oreo Speedwagon that we had last week. Um, you know, but. Uh, very similar. If, from just sitting on a table in a glass, they, they look very similar as, last, as, as the other one. But I think once you get it up into the light, it is a lighter color. You can get more color out of it when you hold it up to the light. So, so Neil, what is the cell sheet on, on Blackview? Oh, wow. You're testing me. <laughs> I'm walking over to my computer to pull it up right now. Yeah. Give me a minute. Okay. All right, we'll, we'll come back to that. So, yeah, um, aroma, yeah, aroma Ooh. smells. See, and I smell the coffee smell. Okay, in, in this, you know, I don't get, I don't get a, a chocolatey smell at all to me. But that may just be the way my big fat Italian nose works. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm sorry, guys. I, I, we're in full allergy season here in Iowa. I can't smell anything right now with that. So, yeah, I got nothing. Sorry. No, I, I, I get that. Like, I get what you're saying about that coffee. I do get kind of a, a chocolate malt. I definitely get more like that malty. Like, if you've ever ripped into a bag of chocolate malt, I, that's what I'm getting hit uh, right on the nose. I, I would assume. Oh, yeah. I have like a whopper. So I don't or? have that reference point. No, I mean like like malted barley. Malt. Okay, okay. Although although whopper actually is probably not a bad way to to describe some of what I'm getting there. So good, right? Teeth be damned. I don't know. <laughs> I have so, the cell sheet in front of me. Awesome. Okay, All right. So, so, so what are we saying? Yeah. Yeah. How, okay. how are we describing appearance and aroma anyway on this? Yeah, so uh, let me go through the specs real quick. Um, so uh, uh, malt, the malt bill, two-row chocolate, wheat, crystal, carapils, hops, cascade, tetanine. Um, ABV, um, did you guys say it was 5.2? That's what the bottle says. That's yeah. what the bottle says, yeah. So, uh, we're, we're actually taking that up to 5.5. Five. I was uh, going to say, my bottle says 5.5. Five. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, my bottle. So when was your bottle? When what's your bottle say? That's for the date, Tim. Uh, it should be on the left hand side of the label. Yeah, I see it. Uh, five seven. Oh, yeah, wow. see, mine's one twenty three. Yep. Yeah, mine's one oh nine. That that's been a recent development. We actually took the ABV up. This is uh, I've actually never seen this happen in the beer industry before, where the the brewers and usually it's you know the accountant accountants that say. No, let's keep the ABV down because that's very dependent on the malt bill. Um, yeah. but the brewers really lobbied for us to take it up to 5.5 five because they said that that was a better interpretation of the beer, which uh, in a way was kind of risky uh, because, you know, it's a, it's a beer that's been around for darn near 30 years. Um, but we trusted our brewers on that. So we took it up, you know, 0.3%. Um, so, yeah, the, the newer versions are going to be 5.5. Five. Uh, IBUs at 30 
uh, yeah, this beer was introduced in 1988, which was when, you know, uh, Deschutes Brewery uh, opened. Um, so let's see here. Brewer's Notes. You'll like these um, because I can tell somebody from marketing uh, tidied these up a bit. Uh, <laughs> soft Breeze. Sturdy Roots. Surprising Balance. Jesus, seriously. <laughs> I'm glad I'm not the only one thinking it. <laughs> Savor a smooth and unexpectedly complex porter that's stood the test of time. So you might need to touch that up again. Yeah. <laughs> so, I, I yeah. want you guys to write it, actually. So I wrote yeah. that while driving my Subaru. Yeah. No, 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 no offense. Uh, Neil, I know that you did not come up with that. Uh, and I'm not, again, this has been one of my favorite beers for all time. But that was one of those big things uh, as a head brewer when I was asked to describe uh, a beer and then what I found hit the cell sheet or the the menu or whatever. I'm like, well, that's not necessarily the same thing. Uh, it's, it's called writer's embellishment. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it, there's there's a lot of poetic license there for sure. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I don't know that I get soft breeze because I don't know. <laughs> what, I don't know what that is. Uh, I, think that's, I think that's a new John Tesh album coming out. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right, well, so guys, let's go ahead and and take a sip. Uh, let it kind of sit in our mouth and and let me know what you're getting out of that. So now we're on we're on taste, mouthfeel, and finish. So Aaron, you're smirking already. So what do you want to say? Oh no, I was smirking at something David wrote in a message here <laughs> um, from from the quiet back of the producer's box over there. Um, but no, from a, a taste perspective, I I definitely get that um, bit of chocolate bitterness, um, like like a baker's chocolate. Yeah, right. They're like a baker's chocolate or a, a chocolate powder type of, of bitterness a little bit. Obviously not that bad. If you've ever licked chocolate powder, that's like the worst thing in the world you could possibly do to yourself. That's just quick? That. Like um, no, like a baking, chocolate baking. Oh, okay, powder. okay, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. No, not sweet at all, very bitter. Um, but it's, this is not super bitter, but you get that that flavor, that hint of it. But also... It finishes to me a lot like a like cold cup of coffee or a, a sure. lukewarm as as you lose the temperature of the coffee. That's that that's how it finishes to me. Yeah, there's there's certainly kind of that that um, astringency of those of those those uh, darker malts that's going to come across, um, but not in an offensive way, but Definitely, there's still kind of that that polyphenolic astringency that you're getting out of that as well. Yeah, for sure. JT, how about you? I almost got a kind of a weird sensation of peppermint for a brief second, and I don't know why. Uh, maybe it's because my beer's been sitting since January, apparently. But <laughs> no, it's definitely very subtle, and everything is it's it's not overpowering in, any, in anything. We certainly had some beers before that you know the Oreo Speedwagon was definitely overpowering in the sweetness. This one's just kind of a nice blend of everything, and it's just, I don't know, it's, it's really tasty, and it's one of those things I have trouble describing unless I look down untapped, and then I'd probably like, oh, yeah, that's what I taste. But once again, like you said, it's all in 
there's a lot of, with a brewer standpoint, you can suggest people and people will just buy it. As you said, the double porter, whatever the hell that is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and I appreciate, you know, this is a beer with, with 30 IBU. So I've talked about what IBU means in the past and, and how I think it's a misleading um, uh, statistic or, or beer metric that people use just because it doesn't really get to uh, how much malt character is balancing that out, right? So, you know, this, Aaron, you said this tastes like coffee, but this kind of has like kind of that coffee with a little bit of cream or a little bit of syrup or something in there uh, because 30 IBU stands pretty good on a on a pale ale standpoint, but you wouldn't ever call this hoppy. I do get a good cascade note out of this, which is nice, which is that, you know, classic Pacific Northwest kind of hop. But yeah, it's it's still enough where you still get kind of that that smooth without being too thick, but a fuller mouthfeel certainly. Again, like I said, I'm not gonna jump after this after mowing my lawn, but it's it's definitely uh, one of those beers that for me, I think you know. Again, as much as I want to have a milkshake in the middle of summer, I don't need to have something always light and refreshing. I want to just have something that is uh, a treat. And this is is what something I would consider a treat. That's a fair assessment. Yeah, sure. It's a really, really good beer. I'm a. I, I know I don't expand my palate all that much when it comes to beer, cause, but when I do, I do like the darker, right? The stouts, the porters, uh, you know, those types of those beers seem to be the way that I tend to go when I'm going to try something different and new. And this is a very classic beer. It's, it's just really, really a good beer. Sure. Do we want to see what Neil thinks? <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah, kind of sitting there, I see you sitting there kind of observing, but as someone who's kind of involved with that, I kind of hear what you, what you take away from when you drink it. Yeah. So I, I think the interesting thing for me is that um, I don't drink coffee. So, you know, my point of reference on darker beers, I think, is, is quite a bit different than a lot of other people. You know, the, the, the really roasty coffee notes, um, it, those are a bit offsetting to me. But Black Bee Porter, to me, is in, is in a different category. And, and, and I just I get a lot of dark chocolate, European type chocolate, really dry uh, is, is what I get out of it. Um, so I, I don't get any of the kind of offsetting, uh, coffee notes, um, that would be a, a bit, um, you know, um, I don't know, abrupt for me. Um, so yeah, you know, I, like I said earlier, I, I, I think this is a beer that, you know, uh, or I, actually someone else said it where, you know, if, if you're not drinking porters during the summer, you're probably missing out because I, I think this is a great nighttime when, when the weather cools off during the summer beer. Yeah, I uh, I love this nightcap kind of sitting yeah. around sitting around the fire. Man. Yeah, I was thinking bonfire would be great. You got some. If you drink enough of these, and, Tim, if you, if you drink enough of them in Minnesota, maybe you won't notice the mosquitoes trying to eat you. Yes, there yeah. there, it, there is that. The ch- oh no! So. Okay they're attracted to CO2, so I'm giving up a lot of CO2, but yes, if I get drunk enough, they're not going to care, or I'm not going to care. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I'm so tired. Uh, Neil, remind me, re- remind me the, the malts in here again. 
Yeah, two row chocolate wheat crystal carapils. Okay. What are carapils? Uh, uh, carapils is a a a light caramel malt, so it's okay. going to be bready and caramely. It's good. It sounds like a kill streak from Call of Duty. <laughs> um, and then you said uh, Cascade and and Tetanang, right? Right. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So yeah, no that that carapels is largely probably in there just for like uh, increasing head retention. Um, yeah, I, 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 I that would be a question for our brewers. I I don't know, but yeah, you know, I, I, Blackview Porter is a is a beer that. I think always has a nice, really kind of tan, fluffy, fluffy yeah. head on it. Yeah, yeah. That's that's generally how I've used it in the in, in the past is to yeah. just give a little bit more of that. Yeah, that that dexterity. Question I had on this beer, and and I know we've touched on it a little bit, Tim, but I was reading the bottle earlier, and, and I know we've talked about it a little bit, and you can explain the the reasoning to why this happens and why beers do this. On the bottom, on the bottom right-hand corner of the label, uh, conditioned for quality, live yeast added to the bottle. Yeah. Allows the beer to age gracefully and stay fresher longer, blah, 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 right? So right. explain the, the uh, why do they do that. I mean, I, it says right there why they do it, but what what's the methodology behind that a little bit? So there's kind of two ways that you can package beer. You can force carbonate beer and then uh, – uh, just package the counter pressure fill and package that way. Uh, you can naturally carbonate uh, with live yeast. Uh, that becomes a little bit more of of a challenge to do. You do get actually a softer bubble out of the carbonation, and particularly in a style like this, that kind of that softer bubble. Uh, it's a more kind of a. We always talk about. Bubbles being, oh, bubbles are gas. Well, no, bubbles contain gas, right? Bubbles are protein shells filled with gas. And so you get more of a softer natural bubble out of that. Uh, but part of what makes that a little bit more shell stable is the fact that yeast are oxygen scavengers. So you've heard me talk about before that, that oxygen is one of the, the four uh, enemies of beer. When you have yeast in there, that are naturally carbonated, they're also scavenging that oxygen, and so they're helping to, to prolong the shelf life as well. Now, when done wrong, uh, that can that can create some problems. But breweries like like Deschutes and the brewers of Deschutes have have long ago figured out the right way to bottle condition a beer. Yeah, there's for sure nothing wrong with this beer. So yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I just I was reading through that and I knew we'd touched on it a little bit and you've talked about it, but I don't know that we'd ever really explained what that meant. So I figured now is as good a time as any. Oh, um, what speaking of marketing, what is going on? Is there a label? Is it supposed to be like the eye of a wolf looking <laughs> at a goose? What is? I never paid attention until we started doing this podcast. I'm looking at it. And I'm trying to figure out what's going on here. Last we had the. But the easy, the hazy IPA a couple of weeks ago with the zombies. So what's going on with this one? <laughs> it's a good question. Uh, it is, I think it's an eye of like a lion of some sort. Uh, okay. we're, yeah, we're changing this label fairly soon, uh, which will uh, be more, uh, I think, relevant to the actual uh, Black Butte. Uh, 
structure, uh, the, 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 okay. the mountain itself. So, so here in Oregon, for, for you, uh, you flatlanders out there. Uh, <laughs> so a butte is, is a town, St. Louis. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I learned this when I moved to Oregon. Um, so a, a butte is a is a mountain that's less than ten thousand feet. Uh, okay. So Black Butte is is definitely you know a butte that's like uh, probably uh, gosh less than fifty miles away from Bend, Oregon. And, uh, you know, it, the, calling it Black Butte is really kind of poetic because as the sun is setting, it's just kind of this butte that uh, is almost this like triangular shape. And uh, it, it, it definitely looks black as the sun is setting around it. Breaking news. In the future, the label will be this um, kind of fire tower that's actually at the top of Black Butte. Sweet. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. So like a ranger station fire tower thing? Yeah. Yep. Yep. Right on. Oh, of course, really David, cool. during this part, play the breaking news montage. Uh, <laughs> breaking news right here. Yeah. Yeah. You've heard it here first. Breaking news right here on Bitter Unit. Breaking news. The new label coming for Black Butte Porter. So uh, you should go out and buy this beer when the new label comes out. Take a picture of the label, tag us and Neil in the post, tag the shoots, let them know you're buying their beer, Um, you know, but get out there and and for sure, 100% drink this beer. Yeah, absolutely. I'm really happy that we had this beer. This one has been one of my favorites for a long time. So I had no idea it was around since 1988. Yeah. And a little fun. Were you alive yet then? (laughs) I was born in 82. (laughs) So yeah. So the the fun fact is that Black Butte is is uh, is actually the best selling craft porter in the country. Nice. Yeah. Really. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, What would second place be then? Uh, Breckenridge. Who cares? Stout. (laughs) Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Not stout, but uh, porter. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Uh, They call it. They call it. uh, um, I follow some guys in Denver. That cover hockey and basketball, and they call it the uh, Vanilla Porter Jr. now after the basketball player for the Nuggets. Okay. Yeah, Michael yeah. Porter yeah, Jr. Michael so, yeah. Porter, yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Played, who played at Mizzou? Thank you very much. Yeah. <laughs> really? Okay. Yeah. yeah, he did. Yeah. For like for like one game, right? Yeah, until his back went out on him. Yeah. But, oh. Yeah. Okay. Um. Well, we're we've been very news breaky in this episode. New label. You know they're gonna be in Key Arena when the we hockey team starts. Sponsor. I mean, yep. Man, <laughs> you want another yeah. one? You want a, you want another uh, uh, piece of breaking news? Yeah, yeah here. Here. all right. Breaking news. So in the fall, we are releasing a new beer, uh, which will be part of what we call our fresh family. So you might know fresh squeezed. You might yeah. know fresh haze. Yep. Um, you might know Little Squeezy, which is technically part of our what we call our fresh family. But we are launching an Imperial IPA called Biggie Fresh. Oh hell yes! So Biggie Fresh <laughs> will be nine percent ABV. Oh um, goodness! Yeah, it will not drink like a nine percent beer. I promise you that. Um, so let me see if I can find the sell sheet on that one. I might be able to do that. Yeah, um, Imperial IPA. So- so we yeah. need to go ahead and just just go ahead and schedule this now when yeah. that beer drops on a Friday have, when I don't have. We're going to have Neil there. back 
and we're going to drink Biggie Fresh. I have the sell sheet here. Let me give you the specs on this. Um, pulling it up. So uh, malt bill, uh, two-row uh, wheat, oats, deciduated. Uh, and then we actually have five hop additions on this beer. So Cascade, Citra, Mosaic, Amarillo, Eldorado, Cashmere. Cashmere hops are very expensive. Um, so, uh, yeah, six hop varieties. I'm sorry, I, I got it wrong. Six hop addition points throughout the brew house and into fermentation. Five pounds of hops per barrel. Oh, God, I'm in love. Ooh. Yeah. So you heard um, If beer were a person, I'd put a ring on it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm down. Yeah. So, but that, that's awesome. Cause you, and so that's the fall that's coming yep. in the fall. Yep. Yep. Um, so Which for like sure one, 100, yeah, 100%, um, you know, anything we can do to get you back because this has been a lot of fun, Neil. We've, oh, we've really appreciated time. having you. Um, like I said, come fall when that thing comes out, I'm, I'm all about, being the first guys that put it out over the air, what it, what it is and what it's like. Um, yeah. And uh, anything else uh, right now that's current that you guys are doing that maybe that's new or you want to plug, push what the shoots is doing or someplace you're going to be, you know, where you want people to come by and try stuff that's new or what, what do you got going on? Wow. Um, let's see. So, yeah, I mean, Biggie Fresh is the big release in the fall. Um, I guess the other big thing is that uh, breaking news. We have a white IPA called Chainbreaker. You guys actually might remember that from a few years back. Yeah, yeah I love yep, it. Yep, yep. That was a very good yep. beer. Yes. Yep. Yep. So that beer is making a comeback in the fall of this year. So that will be our fall seasonal. Okay. So uh, that will be available for a really limited time. Call it uh, uh, September, October. Um, get that while you can two month window um, in between that, like I said, that neon daydream summer seasonal. And then, you know, we have our Jubal ale winter seasonal. So uh chain breakers fill in the gap in between there. So that's been probably the number one beer that people have requested that we bring back. And we're going to do that. Yeah. I miss that beer. I'm yeah. happy to bring it back. Yeah. I don't know really how many just shoots I love, but now that you keep mentioning, I'm like, Oh, I had that. I've had it. Oh yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Chain breaker, uh, I think was, you know, really way ahead of its time. And um, I'm looking forward to that beer coming back. I've, I've tasted some of the test batches and it's just super good. Um, so look for that. Um, and Breaking news. We're doing another beer that will only be available in the Pacific Northwest. So we're a sponsor of the Trailblazers out here. So we're doing a beer called Rip City Lager that I'm just super in love with. You know, it's, it's a lager with like citra hops. So it kind of is like a juicy lager, um, really tasty. So if, if you're out in the Pacific Northwest starting in the fall, grab yourself a six pack of that. So, so Aaron, uh-huh. uh, I think JT and I are going to need some, some yeast samples sent to us. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. We'll see. And we'll see. Have a FedEx account already set up for yeast samples. See, but, yeah, we'll see what out. we can do. Maybe uh, not that we would ever do anything we're not supposed to do. No, <laughs> um, I'd but, limit. Yeah, right. Um, so, well, awesome, man. I, I can't stress it enough, Neil. We really appreciate you 
uh, being on the pod and being a good sport about uh, me blindsiding you as a sales guy. <laughs> yeah. um, <laughs> I dodged it pretty well, though, right? Yeah, you did. Uh, it's a very good non-answer. It was pretty professional of you. <laughs> um, but for sure, you know, come the fall when, when that stuff's getting ready to, to bust out, um, if you want to come on at any time, you're obviously more than welcome to come back anytime, and we'd love to have you. Yeah, I'd love um, to do it. So, you guys, uh, before we let Neil go, anything uh, anything else we touched on you want to hit back before we go? No, I just, again, I want to thank Neil for being a, a fantastic sport and, and uh, being willing to talk about anything. Um, I, again, yeah, Neil, I really hope you, you join us again sometime. Uh, we're happy to have you. We're <laughs> This is just fun. Yeah, Let's put fun. a bet on the uh, Iowa State-West Virginia football game happening this fall. Uh, let's put some beer on the line. Oh, let's do it. I will absolutely send you some, some uh yeast samples. Yes. <laughs> you're admitting that you're gonna lose. If you're sending me <laughs> beer, you're losing. Oh, yeah. God. You guys are heading oh. the right spot. Whoa. Oh shit. Terrible. Way to go, Jim. <laughs> hey, hey. Uh all the Badger Hill beer is still staying a minute in, in Minnesota, so I'll I'll keep it. But yeah. <laughs> when's yeah. uh is that is that where is that game this year? Uh, I think it's an Ames this year. I think it is. Is it happening? Is that over Zoom? Yeah. Well, that's, <laughs> that's a whole other question, isn't it? Okay, that? okay. Yeah, yeah, right. So, anyway, thanks yeah. for having me, guys. I really enjoyed it. I'd, I'd love to come back anytime. Right, awesome. Good, well, thanks a lot, Neil. Um, so, again, that was Neil Stewart, Vice President of Marketing at Deschutes Brewery. Awesome guest. We've been uh, absolutely uh, blessed to have him with us. It's been a great time. Um, remember to rate, subscribe, uh, and all of that, uh, to the podcast of the tailgate society.com on Stitcher, Apple music or Apple podcasts, I guess it technically is. And, uh, Spotify and all those other places you can get that stuff, uh, rate and review. Um, so that for reals one day, maybe we can get a sponsor like Deschutes, uh, because if there are enough people <laughs> listening, that's what it takes people. Uh, it's called business. Get with it. And, uh, you know, so do all those things and check out all the other podcasts on the tailgate society.com. Uh, special thanks again to our sponsor, dead eye barbecue sauce. Uh, Neil, for sure. Pick yourself some up as some of that. If you like, uh, the good barbecue sauce, the mango, uh, barbecue sauce is what seems to be everybody's favorite uh, around the tailgate society offices with the exception of me I'm a magnum guy which is the spicier version um, so but try dead eye barbecue sauce the best goddamn barbecue sauce in the known universe and once again this has been bitter units thanks for joining us and we will see you next time